Broadcasting from occupied territories, War the Flea Media, it's the Reality Dysfunction Podcast. A space where a diverse group of brown folk from across the nation explore the political experiences and social future of our Chicano Latino community. Control the narrative, resist the dysfunction. Before we get into the dysfunctional reminiscences of the crew in this segment, I wanted to take a moment and talk about Jesus Chuy Negrete. I met Chuy Negrete in 1992 at the Chingon Reunion, a conference that was organized in Lansing, Michigan, by the Midwest Hispanic Institute on Substance Abuse. He was amazing. What a dedicated, revolutionary performer. I was enthralled by his stories and by his presence. I saw Chewy on and off for the next decade, performing, speaking, educating. When he would come to Michigan State, we always had a big party with Chewy. Laughing and singing, he would bring news of other campuses and the struggles of Mecha students around the country. Later in the 1990s, when a bunch of us were organizing with the United Farm Workers out of the Chicago Development Center in Southwest Detroit, Chewy would come and do community concerts at our building. It was amazing, and it was such a benefit to our organizing. Chuy Negrete was one of a kind, and we shall not see his like again. perform, and then um, all of a sudden um, we're at, I think it was Apache's house, and we're, we're all just listening to him sing, you know, live and in person, and it was very personal, you know, and... Um, I mean, it really blew me away, you know, because, you know, you really have to go out and find your own history, especially during our time. It, it's gotten progressively better, you know, as people have gotten their PhDs, like somebody I know here, um, and a lot more educational materials have come out, you know, when it comes to our culture and our history. But, you know, what he was doing was so unique and so revolutionary even during that time that, um, I don't know, it's hard to put into words the impact that he had. It was just, it was just an immense impact. And to have had that personal connection and meet and talk to him, um, it was a pretty significant moment in my life. I mean, I always, you know, when I, when you posted about it, like, it was, like, like I said, that's some of the best times in my life because, um, it was just such a great, great experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. how long, how long before that had you known him before I went to Michigan State? I met, I met, well, for those of us, for those of you who are, who are joining us and who are listening, we're having a, a conversation about Jesus Chuy Negrete, uh, the uh, Chicano, um, I mean, Woody Guthrie, you know, uh, the man, I'm sure that a lot of you who listen to this podcast have uh, heard uh, Chewy perform at some point in your life. Uh, he passed away just recently and we thought that we would share uh, some of his music and and talk about not just uh you know Chewy but also the the role of the cultural worker in the Chicano movement and the Chicano Latino movement. I you know I met Chewy at the uh, Chingon re- reunion in Lansing, Michigan, uh, where he came and he played. I, I that was also um, it was put on by this guy uh, named Willie. It was Guillermo uh, Velasquez. We used to call him Chuco because he had a little place that he, he called the Chuco shop and he sold like, you know, uh, hats and like Stacy Adams and, you know, stuff like that. It was, it was kind of cool. It was kind of ghetto too, but it was kind of cool that there was a place called the Chuco shop. 
And so, um, but he stu- he opened up this place called that he called the Midwest Hispanic uh, Institute on uh, Alcohol and Drug Treatment or something like that. Reiner and I were there a lot and we helped him get the building ready and, you know, all this other kind of stuff. And then they had the Chingon reunion and they brought um, Reyes Lopez Tijarina and um, a whole bunch of other people, man. And Chewie was there. And that was the first time that I saw him, um, saw him play. And uh, I was just, you know, blown away by, by what he was doing. Then I saw him at Michigan state. And then after, you know, a couple of times, I mean, Chewie was one of those kinds of people that was um, eternally friendly after the show at the school he'd come back to the, to the house and, you know, we'd sit there and, and, uh, play guitars and, you know, um, do other things. And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was always, it was always a really good time. So a couple of years before you got there, I, I had met him. Yeah. I'm going to play, I'm going to play a little bit of his, uh, his tape right now. Okay. Like for me, that was the first time that that I had ever heard anything like that, you know. And it was uh, it was crazy. It was it was exciting. It ignited my mind. To, yeah, to, yeah. I mean, I I had the same reaction to it. You know, um, the only person I can compare him to um, would be like Danny Valdez, which hopefully people know who Danny Valdez is. His dad is Luis Valdez. Who um, did he direct La Bamba? Anyways, he's a little bit more well, well, they're a little bit more well known, but she's a little bit more revolutionary, I guess you would you would say. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, it, you know, when you would hear him sing, it would make you want to kind of, it gave you inspiration to research and to read more 
about what he was talking about if you could find materials that that covered it you know yeah yeah i think it's i think it's also interesting too like in terms like we were or i was talking about a second ago in terms of like cultural workers you know and to think about how that how that has really changed you know over the last 40 years and you know even like when i was a kid there were still people that were was really doing teatro but it doesn't really seem like there are a lot of uh teatro groups around anymore um i don't know you know like i know uh my guy mark pinate down in uh, tucson at borderlands theater you know he and his uh partner milta ortiz I mean, they are really holding it down in terms of uh, producing, um, you know, uh, Chicano, Chicana, Latino, Latina uh, specific content, you know, and really thinking about how to use the theater in a way that that promotes the culture and, and not not just the culture, but like the well, the culture and, the, and like the philosophy, like the mental attitude of the of, of Chicanismo. It's it's intense. Some of the work that they're doing down there. They're doing a webinar on the teatro uh, this Saturday. Jose Moreno posted uh, posted the flyer for it. Um, I just signed up for it. Um, but it's interesting that you mentioned that because Danny and Luis Valdez were the ones who um, really promoted into the teatro with farm worker um, movement around the country. But um, for my own personal awakening, one of the things that I'll never forget is um, I was looking through some of my uncle's old stuff, and he had a script he had wrote for the MSU Teatro. And it was about a farm worker and just kind of his daily life. And and I remember, you know, in one part of the script, he said, you know, fuck all the owners, fuck all the heads, fuck all the bosses. And, you know, and as I read it, I, I guess it gave me a different understanding of what farm workers went through, you know, because... Tend to, uh, you don't tend to always hear the, the nitty gritty shit that they went through, you know, about how so many farm workers died, you know, uh, the sugar beet workers here in Michigan, how they, some of them lost legs and hands, you know, and, and you don't really hear about that aspect of it. And um, I mean, it's an amazing history. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I hadn't heard of Chewy until you guys had said that he had passed. And so it's really cool hearing hearing about this and having like a not not necessarily a traditional education method to to learn history because I think music and theater and that kind of entertainment tends to be more a lot more accessible to people than like here's a book read it. Yeah, it's really cool. I think the only like thing, you know, in my young pop culture mind that I can think of is In the Heights by Lynn Manuel Miranda, but even then it's not like revolutionary or thought provoking in any way other than like, you know, the typical gentrified immigrant story that is told about Latinos all the time. I was gonna say I I think that this is really cool as well. And same boat with Carolina, like not having known about Chewy until you guys, you know, wanted to talk about him today. But the only thing that I can compare it to is I've been on this journey recently to learn more about um, 
what it is to be Chippewa Native and all of the arts that, um, you know, and all of the culture that encompasses and um, and learning about just what many would consider like radical indigeneity. Um, and, and that's like the only thing that I have to like compare it to. And that's just something that like I've been on this like two month journey learning about and, and expanding. I think it's, I think it's interesting, Carolina, like what you were just saying a second ago, because it, it seems so much like over the last 30 years or so that it, it's not really about the message. What it's about is, is the person, right? Because the person is like Latino or because the person is Mexican American or that's what makes it radical, right? Is is it, it it's almost in some ways it's almost like we've gone backwards in um in in uh, representation right because we simply I think that we really believe that just because we have brown faces you know in in front of the cameras or behind the microphones that you know that itself is is uh is revolutionary that itself is is something to you know be um in awe of. And I, I, you know, I think that, you know, when we listen to, um, you know, like the kind of work that people like Chewy uh, are doing or did, you know, um, you know, or even like Baltimore Velasquez, uh, you know, down in Toledo, Ohio, uh, the president of the Farm Worker Labor Committee, you know, the work that that he does through song and in organizing, right, that, uh, you know, I, I think it really helps us to you know, put that in into perspective. I mean, just having brown faces itself is not a radical, it's not radical, right? It's not revolutionary. I mean, because if we have brown faces and they're, you know, they're espousing white capitalism, I mean, there's nothing radical about that, you know? Yeah, so. I think we've had this conversation too in terms of like, like politicians and stuff like that. It's like, it's not, it's it's very much of a performative activism just to have a brown face there, or even even not just a brown face or like a Latinx face and stuff like that. I know people were like, I think that like reminds me a lot of the conversation that was happening or that is happening around Eva Longoria's new show, Brownish. Mm-hmm. How it's like you know you're telling this quote unquote brown story, but Latinx Mexicans Chicanos they're not all brown, and we shouldn't label like our identity as being brown because we're not a race, we're an ethnicity. And I think in conversations like that, we're missing things like Chewy's work and like in that work that gives us more context of history, but also like putting into perspective of like, you know, the story that we've been told for the past how many years Yeah. of like, black brown narratives of white brown narratives you know it it really doesn't make sense and we have to make breaking down those colonial like structures of ethnicity a part of the conversations that we have around chicanos chicanoisms and like letting dead yeah in the Facebook post that I that I put up, uh, this one gentleman who I do not know, but who knew Chewy, said that in 1979 that he and Chewy were at the International Youth Festival in Cuba, 
and that uh, Fidel Castro himself asked Chewie to close out the meeting um, by or close out the the festival uh, by singing uh, songs, which um, I think is is pretty fucking cool. Regardless of how you feel about Fidel Castro, I, I think that's pretty badass. You know, um, the uh, biography that got sent out uh, reads that Jesus Chuy Negrete, 72, a, Ch- a Chicago-based folk singer. I think that's also another thing that's probably not to be overlooked is that Chuy uh, is based out of Chicago. He lived there most of his life, you know, with other people like Carlos Cortez and, um, you know, poets like Carlos Compian. Um Ana Castillo. I mean, there is a there is a really interesting Midwest uh, contingent, right, for the uh, for the Chicano uh, community, and it's it's one that I think is uh, unappreciated and and rarely ever talked about. But it says oh, that yeah, fuck, fuck, fuck California Chicanos. <laughs> like they're so entitled, <laughs> and they don't under like. Oh my god. They get so mad because they're like, why aren't we included in things? But then exclude like basically any and all work that's happening with Chicanos in the Midwest. It's like I mean, I could go on. We have talked about this before too, yeah. but like <laughs> uh, it's just so frustrating. Cause yeah. like you you wanna see work done with Chicanos, you wanna see community built with Chicanos, like, damn, get your ass out of California, get your ass out of the Southwest. Like yeah, well, that's that's definitely true. Get your ass out of the Southwest. Here, let's play a little bit more of this uh, of this tape, or maybe not. Oh, wait a minute. Oh. The place, the Texas Mexican border. I rode with them, lived with them, died with them. The year was 1850. The Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo had been signed. By 1851, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo had been broken. I mean, you know, watching him do this in person, you know, it's a... 
it's it's all of these different influences, right? Like this song, the the um song that he's singing. I mean, that's like this really famous Johnny Horton song, um, you know, the Battle of New Orleans, and then he immediately switches into uh, you know, verses from uh, Yo Soy Joaquin. Um, I mean, it's just the the scope, right, of of the work. And I think again, you know, like when we start talking about like him being a cultural worker, you know, and then what we also understand is that, uh, you know, Chicano Latino culture in the United States is 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 really this um this uh this this conglomeration, right, of of all of these different things, you know, and so, I mean, it's just uh it's amazing to watch him sort of uh or to listen to him you know, transition through these, these different uh, influences and bring them all back together. Right. And say, Hey, this is, you know, this is what it means to be Chicano in the United States. And he did it all in that, just that one, that one part of the song. Yeah. You know, it, it's, I mean, he, yeah, not only did he that, but he's also, I mean, it's the humor as a guy, you know, the way that he presented it, you know, I, I mean, right now I was muted, but when I heard him, do that kind of parody of the New Orleans song. I remember I was laughing, you know, because it's like it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant, um, and also educational and also entertaining. Yeah, yeah, he was pretty funny. He was, he was, he was really funny, dude. He had a great sense of humor. Yeah, said, he. Uh, go ahead, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, I'm glad he mentioned the treaty because. You know, I was I was going down a YouTube uh, uh, rabbit hole watching quick draws from movies, right, and stuff like that, like westerns, a lot of them, you know. And so they had this clip of John Wayne, and John Wayne was basically trespassing on a land grant, and you know, so the so the uh, you know the the people on who own the land or were working for the landowner who had the land grant were like, you know, you're trespassing. And then it became a quick draw, and, and you know. John Wayne shoots the guy who, you know, one of the guys who's trying to protect the land grant. And he says to the other one, you know, what about that? And then he says, like, I'm not the landowner, you know, and rides off. But, you know, I mean, there's John Wayne basically saying, fuck the treaty, you know. So, you know, there's there's the history that was being presented in pop culture in the late 50s and early 60s. Yeah. Fuck John Wayne. Yeah, fuck him. (sighs) The... Uh, press release says that Negrete was born in San Luis Potosi, Mexico, was ferried across the Rio Grande with his family as a one-year-old and spent his early years in Texas, where his parents were migrant farm workers. In later life, he was closely aligned with the farm worker movement, performing for Cecil Chavez's United Farm Workers and Baldemar Velasquez's Farm Labor Organizing Committee. At the age of seven, Negrete was reared in the steel mill culture of South Chicago, as a young adult, he worked with his father at U.S. Steel. Wow, that's where my family came from in Mexico, San Luis Potosí. But they came to Texas to work in the coal mine. Damn, dude, he wow. might be—he might be your cousin. Yeah, yeah, it could be, could be. That's crazy. It's a small world. Just talking about this kind of makes me like very upset that these are not the things that we learn in like school um you know i didn't learn about any of these things i never even talked about cesar chavez in school until i was like in college and that was very intentional because of the courses i was taking um 
you know what, yeah, Cecilia, but that, 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 that's what this time period is, was always meant to be. You know, you heard Chewy sing about El Mandato de Cuauhtémoc. You know, Cuauhtémoc was the one who gave us the prophecy of the sons, the fifth son, sixth son, seventh son. So in the fifth son, um, that's supposed to be war and conflict, which would have encompassed the 1960s, right? So we're in the sixth son, which is supposed to be a time of rebirth of knowledge, um, of identity, of culture. And I mean, in a lot of ways, I feel like we are, we are in that time period. So don't feel bad. You were, you were meant to discover this stuff now. You know, I mean, it, it, I had parents that taught me a lot of this stuff, but when I, you know, was, was, you know, when I became an adult, I still had to seek out a lot of it, you know, and take what you will, your believe, if you will, about prophecies, but I mean, it's something to think about, you know, and I mean, hopefully, you know, you know what happens in the seventh son? What happens? No, I remember hearing about this, but no, what happens, Dan? Re reclamation uh, of, of our, um, of our homeland. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the fifth and sixth sons have been, have been accurately described, in my opinion, hey, I think I think Danny's right. I mean, I think the one thing to to always keep in mind is that um and and people can they can try to spin this however they want to, but there there is a history here that is purposely excluded, right? That that is that is not taught and that it is it's it's not an oversight, right? That that Chicano or Latino history in the United States isn't taught. It's it's not an oversight, it's on purpose. You know, even as as late as uh, 2010, right? Going back to the to the Arizona struggle, you know, where they he, yeah. these guys freaking pass a law that makes it illegal to um, to do that. I think uh, you know that's you know that that's super important. Well, what what do you what do you mean 2010? Look at what what was it in uh, that they tried to pass in Texas? Oh, right? just oh, recently, yeah. yeah. And or, so. Or what's going on in California right now you with know, the ethnic studies struggle? Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and then of course the argument is they can experience the kids can experience it, but they can't learn about it. Yeah, I think we were talking about it earlier too, where Cecilia was saying like, you know, she went to a white school and shit. I went to a white school too, and so it, it's, I think it ties back. Yeah, what Ernesto was saying too is that like, you know, you want to have these conversations, you want to learn, you want to do the best for for the next generation and I think my parents did a good job of exposing me to a lot of like Chicano identity stuff um yeah. at growing up but that's still you know that still doesn't mean you know that you know everything yeah or, and you know I'm continue continuously frustrated not just with you know the American public school system um and the history in the way that history is taught and what history is taught but even like within like the college system. And I think part of it is, you know, misinformation just generally about what actually encompasses the Chicano movement. Um, but having kind of like coming into, right, UCSB, which is a Hispanic serving institution, quote unquote, right. but coming in and being exposed to, you know, like Californian, like Latinos and Latinx people and being really like, I don't want to say shunned, 
but kind of being like, oh, like, why, why do you identify as Chicana? Like, why, why is that something, you know, why don't you just do Latinx? And there's a lot of negative, negativity surrounding it. And I think it's taken this past year with doing the podcast and being at home and, and having these, you know, college level conversations about race and identity with, you know, my parents, but also with my ninos and, you know, what does that mean to kindly, to finally, I think, come back to a place where I'm comfortable being like, okay, yeah, I'm Chicana and I want to learn more and I want to do more, but I'm also like, you know, I'm not just gonna, you know, like, like when I was little, like, I'm not just gonna be like, oh, wow, this is so cool, but being critical of it and being like, okay, let me take these experiences that I had in college with, you know, I think rightly so criticisms of Chicano from like Chicano Chicanonist, <laughs> um, but the Chicano movement with you know first generation like immigrants, but also first generation college students, um, in you know in their feelings and their feelings of exclusivity within like the space, and kind of shape that into you know how I look into it. But it is like it's not just at, like, yeah, it's not just like the California or the American public school system. It is, you know, Latin, like Latinx people within the United States that hold those negativities towards it. And so people who, and I think especially here in California, where there is a very stark difference between, you know, people who identify as Chicanos and who are not, you know, like, who identify as Chicanos for the idea of like, okay, we are like, you know, Mexican Americans, emphasis on the Americans, um, and not necessarily in it for the political and organizational activism that yeah. is being done behind the name. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So yeah. It's been my year. <laughs> it's thinking it, about it. It's been a good year. I, I, I think you're right. I mean, it, it, we, we, it it has we have to continue to critique the things that other people are saying and the things that we're saying and the politics i mean the minute the minute that critique stops growth stops and then you know it becomes i think it then becomes what people a lot of people try to make it out to be right it's something that's just stilted and and you know trapped in in the future i mean not in the future in the past and you know i mean i yeah no i i, I feel you i feel you yeah, I mean, I mean, look at look at what is it? Feminism and the waves, right? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so first wave uh, Chicanismo, right? But you know, you learn you learn from all those things and their and the mistakes and then the uh, successes. So, yeah. Hey, let's yeah, listen. I to, think, oh, go ahead. Oh, After you're done, say, Carolina, think, we'll listen to a little bit more. Sounds good. I think the hardest part for me has been like trying to bring up these conversations and me being having grown up being kind of steeped in the Chicano identity having these conversations with people who get immediately like argumentative and defensive and then seeing that kind of translate to professors of Chicano studies and stuff you know and sometimes it's fair criticism you know like gotta critique professors but also them you know being first I mean more likely than not being first generation college students than going on to being professors 
And, you know, they have those same insecurities and hangups that students now do. And so it's, it's such a hard conversation to have within collegiate settings, I think specifically within Chicano departments, Chicano studies departments, because everyone has this, like, uh, it's not necessarily imposter syndrome, but, you know, no one's ever really given them the tools to have conversations to build on, especially because I think in, like, Latinx culture, like, feeling or, like, critiquing older folks is very, like, looked down upon in all senses. So the struggle is hard. Imposter syndrome is real. It, it's it's real. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Here, let's listen to a little bit more. Real real quick, Carolina, uh, any critique is valid if, if the critique itself has truth to it, regardless of who you're critiquing, in my opinion. Yeah, I like, yeah, it's just, you know, it's hard having these conversations because no one wants to be like, you're wrong. But also, I think for students especially, It's hard to have that language to articulate when, one, you know, you're not taught Chicano history and you kind of think that your experience is the experience of everyone. Of everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a there's a way to to say you're wrong, you know, or to explain you're wrong and why. And I usually like to get right in their face and scream it. Yeah, that works. Yeah, yeah. my favorite. <laughs> You're wrong. <But> yeah. <laughs> that's funny, right? That's only that's only for uh, chat forums and things like that. Exactly, yeah. all caps. You're wrong. <laughs> With lots of periods afterwards. I I hear that. that no, 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 some... exclamation marks. Exclamation marks. Yeah, I hear that. Eleveny. That really upsets people. Yeah. <laughs> all right, here, here we go. There's a little bit more. Siempre se cagan en las de abajo. 
I can remember watching him sing that part and uh, just like how funny he made it. Yeah. United status. That was always my, it was so much of it that I thought was funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. Here, let me read a little bit more of this. This is after meeting and being inspired by playwright and director Luis Valdez, Negrete began his performance career leading a street theater troupe, Teatro del Barrio. He recruited aspiring Chicano actors, including his younger sisters, Juanita, Santa, and Rosa, to travel the country, presenting satirical folkloric shows at schools, colleges, and other venues. He and Rosa later performed for a time as a music and multimedia media duo, Flor y Canto. Crazy. I mean, he met Luis Valdez and went out on the road, right? Took his guitar and his harmonica and just, you know, started performing on the streets. Right. His tasseled shirt. Yeah. His, <laughs> yeah. His ribbon shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. He, um, it says that uh, he held degrees from the University of Chicago, Illinois at Chicago and Chicago State University. Negrete was an expert in multicultural education who taught in Chicago public schools and later in colleges and universities, including the University of Illinois at Chicago, Robert Morris University, Roosevelt University, and Indiana University Northwest. His specialties in educational anthropology and ethnomusicology led to research projects studying prostitutes in the Mexican-U.S. border economy. I actually remember that. Mexican railroad workers in Kansas City, Kansas, and at-risk uh, Chicano youth in Chicago and elsewhere. Okay, y'all. So we're we're coming up on time. I, I'm really glad that we had a chance to um, to have this discussion about about Chewy, about cultural workers, you know, and, and the their importance to to like our identity. I'm I'm going to end with this uh, piece um, that. Uh, What's a another excerpt from the um, from the uh, tape Canciones uh, de las Sosu Chavez? That's not right. I'll have to do that part over again. Para Sosu Chavez. Okay, now I got to start it over again. Sorry. One more time. Take two. <laughs> In the factories. Strikes were led by Mexicanos. The pecan shell strike of San Antonio. The mining strikes in Nuevo Mexico, Arizona. Hundreds of agricultural strikes throughout the United States. Mexicanos, along with black workers and white workers, helped in the struggle for the eight hour day. Among them, a woman by the name of Lucy Gonzalez Parsons, wife of Albert Parsons, who was hung in the Haymarket riots of 86. Don't listen to the bosses, don't listen to their lies. We poor folks haven't got a chance unless we organize. Ese día en la fundición. Ese día en la fundición, cuando empezó la huelga, ese día en la fundición. Dice a Lucy González, ese día en la fundición, que no se raje nadie, es mejor 
aguantar hambre pero era muy temprano en la lucha organizada muchos cruzaron el picket line don't listen to the bosses don't listen to their lies we poor folks haven't got a chance unless we organize round red black and white all the workers must unite round red black and white all the workers must unite ese día en la fundición ese día en la fundición vino la represión y vino la represión 15 muertos 10 heridos ese día en la fundición come join the CIO come join the CIO come join the CIO come join the CIO dice a Lucy González ese día en la fundición que no se raje nadie es mejor aguantar hambre This is the reality dysfunction.